Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A pink and blue June morning found me at Bradgate looking from the Griffin Hotel over a smooth sea to the lightship on the Cock Sands, which seemed the size of a bellboy. After breakfast, Scaife got from a house agent a key for the gates of the staircases on the rough. I walked with him along the sands and sat down in a nook of the cliffs while he investigated. A dozen of them. I didn't want to be seen, but the place at this hour was quite deserted. And all the time I was on that beach, I saw nothing but the seagulls. I can hear the sea. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Tim Wright, and you, Lloyd Shepard. Me, Lloyd Shepard. I am Lloyd Shepard. We are standing uh, on a beach. We've come from Scotland. We're at the other end of the country. We have gone a long way. Have we ever traversed so far in one podcast before? Backjecting, we have. So we've come all the way down from Galloway and Dumfries to the Kent coast. He talks about being at Bradgate. There's no such place as Bradgate. No. Nope. We're standing on a beach that's between Kingsgate Bay and Joss Bay. Quick plot summary of where we are on the 39 Steps. And it is the 39 Steps by John Buchan that we're doing. We're doing the 39 Steps by John Buchan. I just left that hanging in mysterious. A classic thriller. There's a similar vague, odd missing pieces in the book itself, as I just did there. A classic thriller. So we've uh, followed our hero, Richard Hannay, from finding uh, a dead man metaphorically and then a dead man literally in his flat in London. Yes. And for some unknown reason, he decides he needs to run all the way to Scotland. There's a conspiracy to... Initially, he thinks the conspiracy is to just uh, do in a a Greek leader called Karolides. Yes. But then it turns out the conspiracy isn't that. It's a deeper conspiracy by the Black Stone Group. That's right. And they're everywhere. And they are, they are looking to seize the naval plans of the British and French navies. Yes. Um, from a group of men in Queen Anne's Gate. Well, that's where nominally we would have come from, yes. So basically the chase is on. Yeah. Is that our, our hero, Hannay, 
We've is, had one chase through the hills in Scotland. That's and now it. There's another chase. Another chase. Now well, he's the man doing the chase. The tables right? are turned. Yeah. The tables have turned. He's now aware that uh, of this plan, and they're trying to hunt him. They have been trying to hunt him down. And he's escaped by various means. Now he's managed to get to talk to some government officials. Finally, he went to the police. I don't know why he didn't do this weeks ago, frankly. <laughs> well, um, one of the mystifying decisions he makes. And he's witness at, at Queen Anne's Gate to the meeting of the Admiralty staff and politicians. With the First Lord? Yes, and Lord Allower, he's called, yeah. right? But it turns out that he's not Lord Allower. No. It is that he is one of the, the group well, that is sconded with the plans. A man that Hannay has already met. Yeah, disguised. Didn't recognise him. Disguised as another Never recognised him. Not good with faces, is he? He's just not, not good, good with, faces. with faces. He just knows that he's somebody he's met before. He's not a super recognizer. He's not. And anyway, now they've realised that the dastardly Germans have got hold of this stuff and will be making off to Germany with it. Are and again, not? in a curious twist of fate, is that rather than, than taking off straight away, because they're German and they had a plan to, to leave on the 15th of June, yeah. even though they get hold of these plans on the night of the 13th of June or something... They're just going to hang around for a couple of days. <laughs> they, because the Germans... No... Li- there's, some, there's some language about the Germans like sticking to their plans. Yeah, they're not going to be knocked away from it. Yeah. No, so... If only there was some river m- running out of London into the sea that ran straight to Germany that they But they've worked used. out that the 39 steps means... Somewhere down on the south coast, steps down, steps to, the beach. down to a beach where a boat will be waiting for a them. yacht. Right. So where is this place? And they drive down to Bradgrave. So that's why we're here. We should say a bit like we did on our Rogue Mail podcast. We're recording this whole podcast from the field. That's right. No studio bits. It's all real. That's right. It's all, all real. It's all real. Even the, even I'm not even. I know I faked a bit of outdoors stuff yeah. in uh, Rogue Mail. Yeah. I'm going to try not to do that yeah, this time. Me too. But if I have to add a bit of sea stuff, no one's yeah, going to yeah. know. Few seagulls. Are they? Few seagulls. Are they? Anyway, we need to find a hotel. We need uh, to find a house full of Germans. A golf course. A golf course and some steps, and some steps. dancing. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Won't be a problem. Just a quick note, by the way, about Queen Anne's Gate, which I found interesting. Was like, yeah. I was trying to work out, well, do these... W- would they have met there? Well, should we explain quickly where Queen Anne's Gate is for oh, people yeah, who don't on, know? Yeah, yeah. So Queen Anne's Gate is a street in St James's, which is uh, runs down the side of St James's Park. So it's between Victoria Station and St James's Park. If you've watched a film set in London, in oldie-worldy London, or 18th or 19th century... There's basically one of two locations you've probably seen. You've, you've either seen the Royal Naval College at Greenwich, which usually stands in for 17th century London, yeah. or you've seen Queen Anne's Gate or somewhere around it, which stands in for 18th century London. It's that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, Old yeah. Georgian houses. And you know when we were sitting on Cheney Walk for up the, junction up the junction and saying what an extraordinary place this is that everybody's lived there? Queen Anne's Gate's a bit like that. This is another one of those places where everybody's kind of lived there. The first sea lord did live there. Oh, really? But he wasn't Lord Alloa, right? No, he was Jackie Fisher. Yes. Although, actually, curiously, he retired in 1911 and then was brought back in the war in 1914. So, actually, he probably wasn't there. No. So, that's one yellow card, I'd say. The other person who's there is Haldane, Richard Haldane, who would have been in the government. Mm -hmm. So, he lived down there. Another guy, interesting guy, Edward Tennant, who was another politician, lived down there. 
He had a massive art collection there, which he opened to the public once a week. You could wander in there and look at his lovely art. Yeah. That sounded quite nice. Now, the most important person who lived there was Mansfield Smith Cummings, who I think we've talked about before. Mansfield Smith Cummings is uh, Secret Service, right? Secret Service. He's the, the first... original M. Yes, well, he was called C, of course, because yeah. he, he signed it C, but yeah. he's the original M. Yeah. He lived there. Wow. And in fact, when they first started their operations, they started their operations at the house there. Wow. So the, the model of the guy who Hannay goes to meet in his fly fishing cottage, who he goes to see who's a Secret Service and gets access to him. Yes. The model uh, is Mansfield Smith coming for that. And what's his... I've forgotten his name. It's in Berkshire somewhere. That's right. Yeah. But then he has a house there. Yeah. So that he goes to his house there. That's right. So that kind of works. And they say that there used to be a tunnel there from Queen Gate to the headquarters of the Secret Service in Whitehall uh-huh. for him to walk through. Uh-huh. Again... He wasn't there in 1940. He had a terrible car accident with his son in France oh dear. in 1940. He was trapped in the car, and it's alleged that he chopped his own leg off to get out of the car. Alleged by who? And he had a false leg after that. This is at sea? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Tough man. Yeah, tough man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he chop his leg off with? <laughs> a penknife and a pencil. A penknife, allegedly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His God. son died, and he cut his leg off and got out. Oh, dear. But that's in 1914, when he should have been at this... Um, they don't mention a missing leg or anything like that in the, in the text. They don't, do they? Right. they don't. So that's where Hannay's doing his meeting in London. Yes. So he's come from Scotland, he's contacted the police, yeah. and then he's come into London and he's gone to this meeting at Queen's Gate. He's, he's basically gate-crashed it, hasn't he? That's it. And like, who are you? Who are and you? Then, but uh, uh, in this case, Buckin would have known all of them. Yeah, he would have sucked up to all of these people. Yeah, because he was involved in a lot of that kind of propaganda stuff and everything, wasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. So that's set the scene, hasn't it? Yeah, very that, good. That, that's why we're here. I'm here at North Fallen Golf Club, a clifftop course on the Kent coast at Broadstairs. It's four times been used for open qualifying, uh, and it's very different to some of the other Kent coast courses. It's not a Lynx. Uh, it's got an interesting selection of holes. Starts off with a short par four with one of the smallest greens I've ever played into. Uh, that's an interesting opening. Another short par four after that, but perhaps the pick of the front nine holes are the, uh, the fifth over here and the seventh, another par three over, over there. Again, a magnificent backdrop with Kingsgate Castle up on the cliffs, set in an imperious position overlooking the ocean. Uh, it's a good, good first nine here, and then you come out onto the back nine, a little bit more open, and a little bit more room to perhaps open your shoulders. I borrowed Scaife's telescope, and before lunch went for a walk along the rough. I kept well behind the rows of villas, and found a good observation point on the edge of the golf course. There I had a view of the line of turf along the cliff top with seats placed at intervals, and the little square plots railed in and planted with bushes, whence the staircases descended to the beach. I saw Trafalgar Lodge very plainly, a red brick villa with a veranda, a tennis lawn behind, and in front the ordinary seaside flower garden full of marguerites and scraggy geraniums. There was a flagstaff from which an enormous Union Jack hung limply in the still air. He doesn't mention the uh, young Kentish man covered in tattoos, not wearing a shirt, cycling past while he's writing that bit. He doesn't mention the people of Kent very much, does he, to be fair? So we're sat on the rough, I think, aren't we? I think we're sat on the rough. Which is the pathway along the top of the cliffs. Yes. Behind us is the North Foreland Lighthouse, which 
strangely, John Buchan fails to mention at all. Mentions a lighthouse because actually, if you wanted to get a view of the houses around here, the perfect place would be the North Foreland Lighthouse. But we think our hero, Richard Hannay, is stood around here. We think this is the right place. So we think John Buchan's been here. Yes. Well, we we know John Buchan's been here because it's a historical fact that um, he wrote most of this book whilst convalescing. In a house just a bit in a house on the cliff. In North Foreland yeah. that we're going to go take a look at. So he obviously knew this area. Yeah. And then when we talk about the where Trafalgar House... Now, Trafalgar House is where the Germans are hiding out before they're going to go down the steps from the cliff and head off in a boat back to Germany with yeah. Britain's naval secrets. On this extraordinarily convoluted and mad plan. There has to be cliffs. Yes. Check. There has to be a golf course. Yes, because he talks about standing on the edge of the golf course. Because you can't have a story about right-wing people yeah. without mentioning a golf course, can you, Lloyd? Tim's very near a golf course. It has a strange effect on him. It's like the golf field. It turns him into a, a virulent anti-golf Nazi. Well, you're not going to like this golf course. Why not? The North Foreland Golf Course. Right. Because it was owned, bought up in the late 1890s. By Lord Northcliffe, oh, okay, the founder of your favourite newspaper and the mine, Daily Mail, the Daily Mail, right. So we've we've got him living around here. Well, I mean, if I look over to my left, away from North Foreland Lighthouse and back towards Margate, round the coast, yeah, I can see the tower of a rather Gothic-looking structure. That's his looming house. up over the over a more modern his house. castle. He built a castle here, right? Yeah. That's, is it Kingsgate Castle? I think it's called that, yeah. It's just ridiculous. Talk about heirs. <laughs> well, he, he didn't just have that house. He had one at the other end of the golf course as well. It right. built there. I look at kentonline.co.uk. I found a great article called The Golf Mad Daily Mail Founder's Life in Broadstairs. Mm. The alligators he kept in his garden and the day a U-boat tried to blow him up. Wow. <laughs> Do you know what? That sounds like a Daily Mail headline. Daily <laughs> Not Mail bad, Online is it? Headline. John Buchan must have known him. Right. Because they both worked in the Ministry of Information yeah, during Buckham the Yeah, Buckham was a big world, player in the First in World War. The propaganda world. Well, Northcliffe was as well. Yeah. So they would have worked together right. quite closely. And if he was holidaying down here, and he knows all these people, he's going to pay a visit to the Northcliffe, isn't he? Yeah, he's probably having lunch there two he's or three times a week. He's playing around a golf yeah. if he's got time. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Alfred Harmsworth, Lord yes, Northcliffe. founder of the Daily Mail. He basically, he bought the North Foreland Golf Club in 1891... He built a Tudor home down by the golf course, as well as this magnificent castle at the top. Kept two alligators in a giant mud bath. He had two alligators in a giant mud bath? Yeah, 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 yeah. And a stable full of motor cars. He's a Bond villain. (laughs) He's very much a Bond villain. (laughs) He completely is. He's got a lair. He's actually got a lair. Yes. With alligators. Yes, yes. Right. Absolutely. He bought. Do you know that he, after he got the Daily Mirror, he also acquired the Observer and the Times. At one point, he owned the Times, the Observer, the Mirror, and the Mail. Yeah. So he owned sort of forty percent of all readership or something. Yeah. It says here that one journalist wrote to him: "Next to the Kaiser, Lord Northcliffe has done more than any living man to bring about the war." Wow, is that what they said about him? Yeah, because he stirred up such massive anti-German feeling oh. in his papers. Wow. He was so anti-German that he was targeted by the Germans during the war. And this business about, they sent a U-boat to fire on his house. What, from out here on the channel? Yes. Blimey. Missing its intended target, but hitting a cottage in one of his gardeners, 
killing a young mother and baby. Oh, nice. Yeah. They didn't repair the cottage. They left the hole as a reminder of how dastardly the Germans were. Right. That they would kill... They were prepared to kill women and babies. Is there any memorial to the young woman and baby anywhere? I don't know. I think, you know, as you can tell, it sort of made an impression. So, look, I'm thinking that he's quite a good character for Bucken to be... He's on this side, watching all this going on on the other side. And I bet you he had a giant Union Jack. Well, the other point you made was that if if, if Hannay walks across the golf course... Yeah. to come to this side he's coming it. from the Kingsgate side which yeah. means he's staying in a hotel which is right next to Northcliffe's Castle he's basically staying at Northcliffe's so House isn't he? Castle. they're all in it together they are and, and massive anti-German paranoia yeah. of course there's going to be Germans down here yeah. yes I've seen I've seen some people behaving very oddly I've down seen here. them playing tennis <laughs> yes <laughs> they're not playing golf they're playing tennis <laughs> they must be outsiders <laughs> Presently, a third figure arrived, a young man on a bicycle with a bag of golf clubs slung on his back. He strolled round to the tennis lawn and was welcomed riotously by the players. Evidently, they were chaffing him, and their chaff sounded horribly English. Then the plump man, mopping his brow with a silk handkerchief, announced that he must have a tub. I heard his very words. I've got into a proper lather, he said. This will bring down my weight and my handicap, Bob. I'll take you on tomorrow and give you a stroke a hole. You couldn't find anything much more English than that. Yes, said the Scotsman. Said the Scot. He's suspicious of them. They're too English. He's looking down the hill, uh, down towards a house that's along the cliff edge, along the cliff promenade, uh, and he's seeing three men who are in the house. Yes. Who are just kind of pretending or, or seem to be living a kind of pretty standard English seaside life that golf three, well, three gentlemen would live together golf, in a house golf tennis chaffing there'd be you me and someone else yeah lots of chaffing yeah he thinks they're Germans well why he doesn't recognise them he's I mean, seen them all they, they've tried to kill him several times he's been in one of their house and had a long conversation with them <laughs> and he's still like I'm not sure it's I'm the same sure. man I'm not sure something's wrong which house is he looking at though Tim that's well, the question right now we're here we're looking for Trafalgar House aren't we in yeah. the book. it's called Trafalgar House yeah and we're, we're thinking well he's just taken his house that he's in mm. and he's just used that as the right location mm. but now we're thinking something a little bit different well we've slightly been given the nod by a chap called David Seabrook, who wrote a book called All the Devils Are Here, which it, is about wandering around Kent and encountering strange stories. And well, if you're crazy. a loyal listener, you'll know that we mentioned that book in our very first Curiously Specific podcast. Yeah, the Mystery of Edwin Drood. Yeah. And he talks about Buchan, and he talks about this stretch of coast. He really does. And he mentions a house called Naldera. Yep. And we're looking at it looking right at it now. Right now. It's bang opposite the steps. It's just two doors down from where Buchan was. Yeah. It's looking right over the sea here. You can probably hear, we've heard... I just realised it's an anagram of Alderaan. What's that? It's where Princess Leia comes from in Star Wars. 
You that see, can't be a coincidence. No, that can't be a coincidence. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Naldera was built by Lord Co- Curzon, right? Lord Curzon. The last Viceroy of India. That's right. I, do you know what I think? Did we, did we talk, to, talk about him in the Remains of the Day? Uh, we as, may have mentioned a, him. As a, as a man who was friendly with the Germans? Friendly with the Germans. He was one of the people involved in the Anglo-German Association, wasn't he? Well, I don't know. I think he died too early for that, actually. Possibly. Anyway, he was very pro-German uh, before the First World War. Yes. He actually went to a quite serious conference with them, to, with the Germans, to try and avoid war and, and yeah. have peace. Was he pro-German or anti-war? Well, tricky, tricky. Yeah. Apparently he spoke fluent German. Um, well, yeah. we, shall come on Which to is his, we, we shall come on to his offspring. Yes, and he had three daughters. Yeah, he had and three one daughters. of his daughters is very important to this story. Yeah. Called Cynthia. Yeah. And the reason is because this throws forward quite weirdly. Cynthia Curzon became Cynthia Mosley. As in Baronet Oswald Ernest Mosley. That one. That guy. Britain's foremost fascist yes. in the 1930s. Basically, Mosley would have come down here yeah. to see his fiance, then his wife, and would have been hanging out. In that house. Yeah. So that's two pro-Germans in the house. Yeah. Perhaps playing tennis out the back. So I'm now imagining our friend John Buchan in yep. his QB house, which is literally 50 yards from Naldera. Yeah. It's one, two. There's a modern house, kind of quite a small modern house. Then there's another older house. Then there's QB house. Yes. I'm imagining him in there looking out, and he's looking out from his writing garret. Yes. He can see Naldera. There's he probably big... might even be able to see Lord Northcliffe's house on the other side of King of the <laughs> other side of Joss Bay. The devils are all here. So he's got he's got a pro-German there. Yeah. He's got an anti-German up there, and he's writing a story about Germans up to no good. Pretty good, isn't it? It's quite evocative, isn't it? Poor old Curzon had to resign from the government uh, during the war because of rumours of his pro-German proclivities. Right. Mainly, of course, uh, set out by the Northcliffe newspapers to yeah. discredit him and get, uh, get him out of the picture. Yeah, and Buchan's sort of on the Northcliffe side of this particular fence, yeah, right? So poor old Curzon's got two, two of them on either side of him plotting to, to well, Given that John Buchan made a big name for himself in the first of all writing propaganda, yep. is he writing for the Foreign Office? Yes, right. Are we beginning to think this book itself is a piece of propaganda um, that is designed to discredit Lord Curzon and his ilk? Oh, I think that. Do we are we can we are we able to make that case? Well, this book came out in October 1915. Mm-hmm. The Battle of Luce was in ni- was in September 1915, and that of course was the first m- major mm. sort of setback. So news was coming back that this was all a horrible thing. Now this book, Thirty Nine Steps, was proved to be very popular in the, in the front, trenches, right? In the yeah. trenches. So it came out a month later, maybe to boost, 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 boost anti-German feeling. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And he that set might it be here, where there's it. a famous pro-German who, aristocrat who then had to resign. And then had to resign. It's all a bit too coincidental. It's not good, isn't it? If only he had a big old Union Jack flag out there, yeah. that would have. Been you can imagine one flying on it. You can imagine one flying. Oswald Moses is very keen on this family, by the way. Talking, I mean, talk about real pro-Germans. Because not, not only did he marry Lady Cynthia, he then had an affair with her younger sister, Lady Alexandra, 
who was his mistress for quite a while. So he slept with both sisters. Blimey, really? And briefly, he had a little bit of hanky-panky with uh, Lord Curzon's second wife, the stepmother, Grace Curzon. <laughs> he's got a bit of Alan Clark about him, hasn't <laughs> he? So he bedded all three. Blimey, bedded. All the three women who he were in that house. All three. You're Alan Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a lot of energy, Oswald Mosley. Can't well, both. Yeah, yeah. All those black shirts. But he liked that family. He really he liked did. that family. We live in a period in which politicians are not very popular. And believe me, you have my sympathy. Politicians are regarded as people who have learnt to talk, but not to act. And you demand action, and rightly demand it. My first job was to keep going for the next three weeks. It was now the 24th day of May, and that meant 20 days of hiding before I could venture to approach the powers that be. I reckoned that two sets of people would be looking for me, Scudder's enemies to put me out of existence, and the police who would want me for Scudder's murder. It was going to be a giddy hunt, and it was queer how the prospect comforted me. <laughs> so we've stayed up on the cliff before queer. we get to the beach. <laughs> we've decided that we, will, we need to talk about dating. We do. And whether John Buchan is serious <laughs> about dates. From the get-go, he sounds as if he's really serious. Yes. Because he says, it's the 24th of May, this story's going to finish on the 15th of June. Yeah. W- work it out for yourself as you go. So, yeah. obviously, we did. Well, obviously, we did. It does kind of work that it starts on the 23rd of May. Yeah, and so you've done your 15th. thing of mapping out the yeah, dates. Yeah, so you can see on my book, I've gone, look, okay, that's the 24th. He goes to sleep at one point, I've got the 26th. Why he has to wait for three weeks is more mystifying. Well, that's than a bit odd. Else. 27th, I've got, it all, I've got it all worked out where all the days go. Yeah. Now, look, it kind of works until when he gets to the turn of June, he's up in Scotland. There's a moment where he's, he's escaped the house that we found where he blows it up and escapes. And he goes to find the roadman. And it's the 1st of June. And the 1st of June, he says, Why are ye that come stravagging here on <laughs> Sabbath morning? <laughs> God, you're doing next. Shall I try that again? <laughs> Why are ye? I would doomed. Would if you've not read this, I'll just book, do a quick if you've not read this book, Buck and tries to finessly write I'll out the Scottish accent. I'll just do a quick warm up. We're doomed, <laughs> Mister Maring. We're doomed. Uh, why are ye that comes thriving here on Sabbath morning? Is that better? Is that better? <laughs> well, I, just, I think I think concepts like better or worse are, are irrelevant. At right. This point. So here's the get out. So he says, "I had lost count of all the days, so the Sabbath was um, the reason for his strange decor." So he's got to get out. Well, he says he lost count, but he says it's the Sabbath. No, it isn't. Okay. It isn't, because it's the 1st of June. By his own counting, if I go through the book, yeah. it's the 1st of June. Which is not a Sunday. The 1st of June in 1914 is a Monday. The 1st of June in 1913 Ooh. is a Sunday. A little bit loose there. Yeah, that's right? bad. Then, it, literally, he, he's so badly beaten up, he has to stay with the roadman for, he says, for the better part of ten days. And then he says he's not going to take off till the 12th day of June. Mm. So there's a little bit... He allows himself that gap. Yeah. So that's all very good. And then it does kind of work. That he goes... He basically gets down... Back down to the 13th, he finds the spy master. 14th, he's 
um, at Qu- Queen Anne's Gate, 15th, yeah. he's down here. Yeah, 15th and it all of kicks June. off on the 15th. 1914. Yeah, nine, it has to be 1914. I'll be posting the calendar. So 10th is Monday, 11th Tuesday, 12th Wednesday, 13th, 14th is Saturday. Saturday. So Saturday, the 15th of June. That's right. That's why they're busy playing golf and tennis. Yeah, it's a on the normal Saturday. Saturday out. Right, so you would say, therefore, that his dating's not bad, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd think you'd get high marks, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd give him particularly high marks. There's a key plot point, right? yes. a key device, which is the tide. Oh, yes. He talks about how he locates the location because there's a clue in Scudder's book that says the steps... Are 39 uh, steps. 39 steps, 10.17pm. 10.17. 10.17pm. And he goes, where is it high tide at 10.17pm? I hope you've done your on homework On June the here. 15th. I'm getting this from the British Oceanographic Data Centre. Well done, sir. And I actually found the tide gauge, which is the handwritten log of the tides, for Sheerness. Oh. In uh, in 1915. If you support us on Patreon, you get these links. I'll put I'll put them. I'll put, notes, on, I'll put it. By up. the way, Sheerness is the closest place I could find to Broadstairs on that on, on that map, but it's just not far. Sheerness on the 15th of June. 1914, it was high tide yes. at 10 past 11. Ooh. Now, if you look up the tide tables, the modern tide tables, yeah. you will find that Broadstairs, yeah? Yeah. Broadstairs is 45 minutes later than Sheerness on oh, the tide tables. Good. But we're not at Broadstairs. We're a bit further around the coast than Broadstairs. Right. So I think he's absolutely spot on on the tide table. Oh. I think 10.17pm on June the 15th, 1914, is exactly right. I'll tell you what I'm giving him full bad marks for, though. What? Is the last paragraph of this book. Okay. And this is terrible. Okay. You look angry. I am angry. I'm furious. Three weeks later, as all the world knows... We went to war. Oh. Three weeks later, from oh. the 15th of June. Now, we all know when World War I started, and the reason we know is because you were very insistent in our Wise Children podcast that the beginning of the World War I was the most salient date to fix the dating on yeah. for that book. And I was right. So, here we go. August, right? 4th of August, yeah. 1914, seven weeks later, as all the world knows. Seven weeks, not three weeks. That is a, a, a heinous yeah. error. A heinous error. If I'm sitting in that's, the trenches... That's quite shocking. If I'm sitting in the trenches of the Battle of Blues and I'm reading this book and I'm really enjoying it, and then right at the end... Has anyone says, else pointed that out? It says three weeks later, as all the world knows. And I'm, I'm, I'm fighting this war. And I'd say, hold on a minute. It's seven weeks. When was uh, this book's rubbish? When was Archduke Ferdinand actually shot? Oh well, that's not, oh you were saying that's the st- no. It says we went to war. Don't start with when you said. To, no, no, I'm not no, trying to. Not I'm not that. trying to make cases for him, but I'm just trying to trying to trying to think what he might be thinking of. Yeah. So what? Three weeks later, as all the world knows, we went to mm. war. So is he talking 28th about twenty eighth of June? The twenty eighth of June. So it's only two weeks later. Well. Then it's so just, it's wrong. It's, it's just wrong. It's all hands up. Unless the, a week later, did the Austro-Hungarians declare war on Serbia? A week later. I don't know. I think they may have done. But that suggests that he's, when he says we, he's talking about 
the Austro-Hungarians. He's let his guard slip there a bit, hasn't he? (laughs) Dear oh dear. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We had a padre, you know, who preached to us on Sundays. I remember him saying, by next Sunday, many of you will have ceased to exist, which I thought was a cheerful note to strike. But against that, I'm bound to say that when the battle was on, he was in and out carrying people, carrying people, carrying people. So he quitted himself well. So it's come to the uh, point where we have to rate John Buchan. Yes, we've I got might to want to rate the location. We're sort of sitting on the beach just past Joss Bay. Yeah, on our way on to our the way, steps. On our way to the steps. Yeah. In terms of a location, 10 out of 10, Tim. It's lovely, isn't it? Very nice. Really, these white cliffs are enthralling, actually. The chalky cliffs. Yeah, but also because they're stratified. They've got these sort of layers, so they look, they look like they're sort of stacked, don't they? Yeah, it's lovely. So we, uh, we like to give two ratings, don't we? We give a rating for how seriously the author takes dates and locations in their book yep, uh, and how well they've pulled it off. Mm. And we also give a value for money rating. How good is the book? How, how, worth is, how worth, mm. worthy see, of your time I is see, it? I see you've climbed down from calling it artistic rating. Well, You've climbed down from that because you're worried about being putting yourself in a position of judgment about how good a book is well being a member of the elite i'm obviously trying to downplay that aspect of my personal history because i'm obviously a man of the people oh i see yeah 
I, well, I like John Buck and I want to, I so want to be writing why we, wood pulp thrillers. Why are we bothering with a mark? Why don't we put, put it to the people? Yeah, what, put it out to the people. Put it to the people. We'll yeah. give, they give a mark. Unfortunately, they're always wrong. Um, anyway, so what is your artistic impression, uh, Mark, for this book? Well, we listened to a very good Matthew Sweet free-thinking episode from Radio 3, yeah. in which he was discussing this book with three experts. And there was a very interesting section in that where they essentially discussed the rather ridiculous plot, twists, plot holes, weird things happening like him not being able to recognise people he's met two times before disguises coincidences why are the german spies got a house in scotland all these kinds of things why do the plot seems to rely on the germans just hanging around for a few days it's full of nonsense frankly (laughs) and the people on the podcast were sort of making the case for buck and expressing the paranoia and uncertainty of the uh, 1914 1913 1914 and sort of make and they described it sort of mystic sort of vibe paranoia you're never sure where everything are i think that's nonsense i think you just got a lot of stuff wrong Ooh. i'm giving him a low mark are you yeah because i think but it's a classic it's a classic that does a bad job i think there's passages that are beautifully well written but the oh. fundamental engine of the plot is ridiculous Gosh. it's a nonsense he's getting a five from me tim i'm amazed I'm amazed because usually you give people high marks for doing what they say on the tin, which is he was bu- he was writing a thriller. If you write a thriller, it has to obey the laws of thrillers. There were no laws in... Buckingham well, no, invented no, the laws. That's a fair point, but we're both big fans of The Riddle of the Sands, right? Yes. There's nothing as implausible in The Riddle of the Sands as there is in this book. Well... The Riddle of the Sands runs like a machine. Well... A very tedious machine. It, it goes on too long. I'll give you that. <laughs> and that this book has a. If this book had been any longer, I would have given it an even lower mark. Gosh. It's got. It's got. It's got. Its length plays for it because it's very short. Right. And it rattles along, but it rattles along like a out of control, badly designed, broken jalopy. So I'm giving him a five. I'm wow. Not, I'm not happy about it. Okay, I'm going to give him a higher mark. I'm going to give him a seven. Okay. And I'm giving him a seven because something you just said which is i think that the form follows the content that this book is about a man being rattled along by planes chasing him fast trains the modern world of technology sort of bombarding him and propelling him around the place in a nonsensical way that he can't find the pattern for and his he's seeking a pattern for it and a reason and therefore starts confecting weird conspiracy theories in order to try and make some sense out of the chaos of the modern world. And that's represented by the slightly chaotic nature of the structure of the book. Was that your audition tape for Radio 3? Thank you very much. What Uh, a load of rubbish. (laughs) It's not. I think... Well, the other point is, uh, every chapter is its own discrete adventure. Yes, as a publishing exercise, it's incredibly successful. Yeah, and he says it's the, the adventure of the innkeeper, the adventure of the professor, yeah. the adventure of this. The, so that they're discrete little chapters. And as you said, and in the car coming down here, you said they're just the right length to send you to sleep at night, aren't they? <laughs> I did say that. Yeah? I did say that. So, it but makes I th- me sound like an incredibly old person. <laughs> Now, in, Date, term, in terms of dating, and well, I think you know my views on this <laughs> yeah, from the from the previous discussion about dating. Any man who doesn't know when World War One started is getting a low rating in my book, particularly 
a book that was notionally about World War One. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's an immediate five-point demerit. Oh wow! Okay, for that. So that's like being going bankrupt in the Premier League. <laughs> it's someone, yeah. don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, that's a good point. You should make it six points because then it's more like the football demerit. All right. Six points down. He's already on a four, on a four before right? he even starts. Okay. Okay. Do I give him any more than a four? No, I take another one off because of the Sabbath. Yeah, because he says it's a Sunday when it's a Monday. So he's got that wrong as well. He's down to three. He's clinging on by his fingertips here. <laughs> but after that, he stays with the three right. because I think his travel times are good. That the general timeline from the 23rd of May to the 15th of June is good. Yeah. That all works. We like his locations. I'm giving him a three. Okay, well, I'm going to give him a point back for yeah. the tide times. Oh, fair play. So I'm going to bring him back up to four. Okay, that's still uh, poor, though, isn't it? For the tide times, but it's still not good. <laughs> it's still not good. He's not at the high table, Buckham, which I think is a surprise. If you said at the beginning of doing Curiosity Pacific, in fact, I know this for a fact, when I said to people, this is the stupid kind of stuff that we do, that we go out and try and people locate... Said, doing 39 and they said, oh, you're doing the 39 steps yeah. then? They say... They, they think it's going to work like that, right? They think it's going to work. Yeah. But it doesn't quite work, does no. it? No. And I have to say, some of the kudos that it has, in terms of its high rating, is kudos that people actually have for the film, the Hitchcock film. The Hitchcock film. The Hitchcock and also, it's kudos given by people who actually haven't done the research. They haven't been here, mate. They, they haven't, haven't walked down the beach here. in they their bare feet. So, the things yeah. we do... Schnell, Franz, cried a voice. Das Boot, das Boot! As it spoke, I saw two of my fellows emerge on the moonlit lawn. The young dark man leapt for the window, was through it and over the low fence before a hand could touch him. I grappled the old chap. I don't think he means that. I I grappled the old chap, and the room seemed to fill with figures. I saw the plump one collared, but my eyes were all for the out-of-doors where Franz sped on over the road towards the railed entrance to the beach stairs. One man followed him, but he had no chance. The gate of the stairs locked behind the fugitive, and I stood staring with my hands on the old boy's throat for such a time as a man might take to descend those steps to the sea. The old man was looking at me with blazing eyes. He is safe, he cried. You cannot follow in time. He is gone. He has triumphed. Der Schwarze Stein ist in der Siegeskroner. <laughs> brilliant I do love your German well I was taught everything I know about that from Lord Northcliffe (laughs) there's a yacht there's a yacht hey we're sitting at the bottom of those very steps amazing right We've walked all the way round the top. Well, you're not allowed in at the top. So, you know, something that would have taken us 10 seconds from the top has taken us 20 minutes to walk round because we yes. had to walk round the headland. Uh, so we're now at the beach. We're at the bottom of the steps. There's another gate halfway up, so we can't walk up from the beach, which is disappointing. Uh, but we're watching a yacht sail by, uh, sailing into the wind. It's looking quite, looking quite tough. Yes, ready to pick up a fugitive. He's on the, uh, he's on the starboard tack, Tim. Okay. Um, Thank you, Captain. That's all right. Um, the, the, the yacht um, in the book is called the Ariadne. The Ariadne. And actually, unbeknownst to the Germans, 
the English have already seized it. Actually, all that business on the steps is entirely immaterial. Why do they wait so long to play a game of bridge before they arrest them all? Yeah, it's all very mysterious. Uh, As is the number of the steps, right? Ah, that's true. So I've walked up from the beach, uh, because obviously I'm a much faster walker than you, so I got here first. Well, I had to take... I took my shoes off to get the sand between my toes. You took your And I actually walked up to the first gate, which isn't even halfway up. Yeah. And that's 29 steps, all the way up to the top. Now, we mentioned David Seabrook before. He actually managed to walk all the way up and down. And yes, he counted. That, that was it. When was that published? Early 2000s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. He counted 115 steps 115. in total, but only 78 original oak steps. Yeah. And then he says, who was the friend who allegedly advised John Buchan to halve that number for the title of his novel? Nice. Which I've not been able to find a reference for anywhere else. Okay. But then he goes on to say, mathematician David Wells wrote that 39 appears to be the first uninteresting number which of course makes it an especially interesting number because it is the smallest number to have the property of being uninteresting. Numerologists believe that the number three is a trinity, a completion absorbing one plus two. It resolves the conflict of duality and provides the impetus to act and create. Nine is three times as powerful, the number of karma, destiny, and yet the suspenseful incompleteness of three and nine together is immediately apparent. It's a number that anticipates the next number. It's a fictional number as well. Give 39 as your age and see who believes you. Um, yeah. That's I also like the rather weird historical parallel that 39 is obviously 1939, the outbreak yes. of the Second World War. He's throwing forward. Which is a given He's prefigured. That well, he would have known also that, that, that another load of sort of BNP Nazis were going to turf up in that house in yeah. Aldera. But that's another story of which you can get information on our show notes if you support us on Patreon. <laughs> Thank you very much. Always be selling. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's great to be here, if a little bit disappointing that we can't actually go up the steps. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't I'd it? I'd like to put a special uh, shout-out to the North Foreland Estate Limited for c- shutting off this step for any public use. They Presumably because one of their lawyers has advised them about public liability insurance and they don't want to... So the only people who can use this, I, think, I assume, are property owners on the North Foreland Estate. Yes. But the thing is, that what they should do is they should have an open day on the 15th of June every year. Yeah, they? absolutely. Um, and invite some Germans. You can chase them down the steps. <laughs> there was a German cruiser called the Ariadne, you know. Was there? Yes. It was quite active in this sea here during uh, the war. OK. And it now lies at the bottom of the sea. Really? Not far from Heligoland, because it was sunk in the Battle of Heligoland. What kind of a vessel was it? Well, it was a cruiser. So it was a warship? Yeah, so it wouldn't have been a yacht. I think that might be the plane coming to, uh, coming to find us. Yeah. Come down from Scotland. Uh, but so it wouldn't have been a yacht, but as a name, he might have known about the names of German cruisers. But as a location, it's well worth a visit. Park yourself up in Joss Bay, wait for low tide, don't try and come at high tide. Yeah, uh, make sure you leave in time as well. Walk around the uh, headland, about, as I say, about 10, 15 minutes from the steps down from the car park. You will find... Here it is. ...the bottom of the 39 steps. Yeah. It works. It really works. Uh, I'd be interested to know if anyone can check that there were originally 78. I think yeah. that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. So if anyone knows, let us know. Yeah. The 78 steps. Doesn't work, does it? Well, it's interesting, does it? Is there any other number that works? Uh, also, if there were too little, like the 13 steps, be too that'd, close be like, that'd be a really tiny cliff, wouldn't it? So you, you couldn't have anything over 100. The so 100 and something steps Well, would that would puff you out, wouldn't it? <laughs> Like the 92 steps, the 93 steps, no. Yeah. 
You see, the so 85 it's quite, steps. It's quite a good one because it's yeah. sort of it's mean, mellifluous. Well, it tells you how high the cliff is, doesn't it? Yeah. The cliff isn't that high. Yeah. Well, it's twice it's as high as the steps imply. It, yeah. If it's 139 steps, I wouldn't do it. Man just walked past and gave us a funny look. Well, we're, talk, we're two Jump. men talking nonsense in a, in a tunnel. We are. Not for the first time. <laughs> but for the last time this series. So for the last time this series, we need to say thank you for staking, sticking with us <laughs> for the whole of series three. Listener, that's 30 episodes. 30 15 episodes books. 15 books. Amazing. And without a break. Intense. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. It's been good. And thank you to the artist Learning Music on the Free Music Archive for our Basie Loop theme tune. The track is called Trebek's Lament on Learning Music. Mm. Check it out. Now, in terms of the music that I've been using for this episode, I've tried to stick to the rule that it's all sourced from roughly 1915. Give or take. Give or take. So I raided liberally the Internet Archive. By the way, the Internet Archive is on a funding drive. When you go to the Internet Archive, you'll see that you can very easily make a donation, and I'd recommend that you do. I have done so. Absolutely. We both donate to Wikipedia as well, don't yes, we? we these do. are, yes, we do. These are the public commons these days, and we should all support them. Absolutely, we should. So, a lot of World War One music. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag. And smile, smile, smile. That's it. Oscar Siegel and Columbia Stella Quartet. They had good names in those They're days, didn't names. they? It's a long, long way to Tipperary. The Victor Novelty Band. That's a good name, isn't it? That's what Blur should have called themselves. (laughs) Don't you think? That would have been their unreleased concept album. Yeah. Then we've got a lot of loud Scottish singing, (laughs) which I liked very much. I've got quite addicted to it. By Leon Lishner and the Clan Stewart Pipe Band. Lishner? That sounds like a German name. Well, could be. There's a German in Scotland recording. Perfect, right? Yeah. Perfect. Fits in. That was the Scots Wahey. Which is excellent. <laughs> I recommend it. When are we enough. doing our Welsh novel? <laughs> well, yeah. Some proper singing in. Series four, mate. Series yeah. four. Yeah. Oh, you never. <laughs> you know, I said, oh, well, I'm not going to fake the C sound at all. Oh, well, I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can I just say, during the uh, the Widow of Bath, our previous episode had a lot of C sound in it. Yeah. None of it faked. Oh. All oh. recorded in the field. That, that is the difference between you and me, isn't it? Absolutely. You wandering around a beach for about half an hour trying to get a decent sound. <laughs> me spending two minutes On downloading something off the internet. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel stupid. <laughs> what we have is from Freesound. Both of these are Creative Commons licensed. We've got from Inspector J. Thank you, Inspector J, for Ambience Seaside Waves. And we've also got from Bonnie Orbit. Thank you, Bonnie Orbit. Walking on Stony Beach. I also found the national anthem of the German Empire, Heil der im Siegerkranz. So this was the one that was before Deutsche Deutsche Uber Alice. Yes, which is actually the same tune as ours. Yes. God Save the Queen. But oh, really? Yeah, it's the same oh, tune. Oh, I thought that was a joke. I thought no. that was German singing the English national anthem. No, so no. So that was the national anthem. No, you see, the joke is the Germans go, oh, there's the English singing our national anthem. Oh. So we both had the same national anthem. Yes. That's yes. very strange, isn't it? We should go back to that. It would make football matches so much more interesting, it wouldn't would. it? <laughs> it would. It would. <laughs> they could play them both at the same time. That would wind everybody it up. Really it would. <laughs> it really would. And then I went a little bit crazy for Sibelius. 
You like it a bit, Sebagas, oh, don't you? Oh, well, the fifth symphony in E-flat. It was first performed in 1915, or well, they did rewrite it several times, I believe. Right. And there's also a bit of uh, Strauss Alpine Symphony, 1915. I like a bit of Strauss. Well, that one's Richard got a, Strauss. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. got a good air of menace. Yeah, a lot of his stuff does. Which I thought went very well with a speech by Sir Oswald Mosley. And then I used also Voices of the First World War, Battle of Luce, which is actually a BBC radio documentary clip that's on YouTube. And then you might hear some slightly uh, intense violin music at one point, which sounds quite modern, and it is quite modern. But the reason is, is it's a piece by Hoshiko Yamane, which I really liked, which is her playing live a live soundtrack to Charlie Chaplin's By the Sea. Oh. By the Sea. Very See what good. I've done there? Yeah, lo- lo- lovely. Released 1915. Very good. So uh, I think I've done it all right. That's very good. It's a musical journey. You spent a lot of time on those those music links. I enjoyed it. Not as much time as you spent discussing who could be the cast of The Widow of Bath if we cast it in 1952. You when- spent a long time on Discord, so ask the Discord server discussing that. If you give us £5 on our Patreon account... Uh, as opposed to the standard price of £2, you can join us on our Discord server, yes. where we have been to discussing Canadians. We've been discussing how you might cast a 1952 production of The Widow of Yeah, Arthur, if you, if you bought the book, book rights in 52 and got into production in 54, yeah. who would you cast? So uh, shout out to Rob Bevan, who's our latest Discord server member. Hello, Rob. Ne- do you know him? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. No, complete stranger. And he's he's not said anything on there. So he hasn't turned up. He's a man of mystery. Confession time. I work with Rob Bevan. So uh, welcome, Rob, uh, to our happy band. Yeah, you've come in just as we've we've (laughs) stopped. (laughs) Just as we've stopped. Because we do need to say that we are going to be taking a break at the end of this series. We're both a little bit wrung out. (laughs) And um, we would quite like to read some books that we're not going to do podcasts about for a a while. That'd be good. We're going to take an unspecified break. We don't don't quite know how long. We'll we'll see when our batteries are recharged. Mm. While we're away, though, we're not going to be charging our Patreon subscribers for basically not having anything. So from August, we will be suspending Patreon payments. But it'll Uh, still be there for you, the stuff. All the stuff will still be there for you. Uh, We're not going to take that stuff away. We'll have to think about when we come back and what Series 4 looks like. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. (laughs) So this is not quite a Dear John letter. uh, (laughs) We're on a break. We're not, as, yeah. the, as the kids say. I'm going to spend more time with my family and I'm, less time with you. I'm not, I'm not sure my family is still around. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a lie. I'm going to be spending most of the time on my own. <laughs> <laughs> or with the dog. And very much enjoying it. So uh, thank you for sticking with us through thank, Series 3. Yes, thank we you We hope all. you've had a good time. We will be back with something or other at some point in the future. Uh, yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.